1: Welcome to Chopping It Up. I'm your host, Mike Halen, the senior restaurant and food service analyst at Bloomberg Intelligence. I've got a great guest today. I'd like to introduce Deborah Nika, Senior Manager of Cybersecurity and Privacy. Uh, she's also the privacy services leader at Cone Resnick. And she's also been named Top Twenty Five Women in Food Service and Hospitality. Thanks for doing this, Deborah.
2: Thank you so much for having me on. Excited.
1: Yeah, this is uh this is cool because this is a topic that's you know become increasingly important, uh, you know, I'm old enough to remember when investors didn't really care so much. Uh, uh, you know, I, I remember trading stocks in the early 2000s and Target or Walmart and somebody would have a security be- breach and, you know, the, the stock would trade down for about five minutes and then it would go back higher than, than when it was trading prior to the news. <laughs> oh, yeah. And uh, it was just kind of people thought it was a, a cost of doing business, but things have changed a lot. Uh, over the last two decades,
2: yeah, I mean you know it, it's we're, we're not living in that world anymore. Unfortunately, we live in an economy where a, a breach is no longer a blip on the radar. Um, a, a cybersecurity or a privacy incident is you know tip of the iceberg and everything that comes you know under under the water that you don't see um, is you know loss of investor confidence, loss of consumer confidence. Um, and it really is is not a fun place to be, having to crawl back up um, and and refresh your 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 brand image and capability.
1: Um, yeah, that's great. And so, can you? I guess before we we really dig in here, can you please tell the listeners a little bit about your background in the cybersecurity practice at Cohen Resnick?
2: Yeah. So I am I am a uh, a self uh, you know I am a data geek. I am so excited about information and, you know, spent the very early years of my career decades ago uh, wanting to be an academic librarian. I was, I was really going down the path of like, I want to sit in a crusty old library and just like go through archives and books all day, every day. Um, and living in New York City, you really quickly learn like that's not <laughs> sustainable. <laughs> <laughs> like I could be a librarian and eat beans, or I could like take this knowledge that I've built up and figure out how to you know pivot. We love that word pivot, right? Pivot into the corporate space. Um, and it was the earlier days of what today we know as big data, um, and really the the early start of companies figuring out, hey, we have all this information, and how do we use that information to make data informed decisions, right? Gone are the days where an executive licked their finger and, like, put it up in the air and to figure out which way the wind was blowing on, on a deal, right? Um, so my career has really followed that data lifecycle, right? How do we collect information? How do we curate information? How do we uh, use information and, and flow it through our, our technology systems? How do we use that information to make data-informed um, data-informed decisions, and then you know, ultimately, after a, a what I'll call a a big brother moment uh, mid-career, I was like, hey, we, we've got to really do more about protecting the data, right, and, and protecting the people that are ultimately the ones that are impacted. Um, in that, you know that data. So four years ago, I mean, it started way earlier, but uh, four years ago, had the great privilege of coming over to Cohen Resnick, um, part of their cybersecurity tech risk and privacy practice. Um, And our, you know, our mission in market, if you will, is to help companies understand that cyber and privacy don't need to be scary. they don't need to be these unattainable only technology-driven capabilities. But how do you use cybersecurity programs? How do you use competency around privacy compliance and management to actually drive value in your business, right? So if it's a transaction, right, how are you preparing your company to make sure you're getting great valuation? How do you make sure that you're prepared to answer the hard questions of of, of the underwriters of how are your systems and how are your data secure? Um, how are you running your business? How are you growing your business? How are you sustaining that growth? Cyber and privacy are front and center to that equation. Uh, but before we, we go any further, I think it's um, one of the places I really like to start in chatting about this is what is cybersecurity? What is privacy? Because When we say cybersecurity, I can guarantee you half of our audience is going to think of a hacker sitting in a room somewhere at night, chugging Red Bulls (laughs) in a dark hoodie, right, trying to crack code. Um, And it's not that. Um, Cybersecurity, there, there are three main tenets of cybersecurity that we call the CIA triad. Confidentiality. So information in your ecosystem is being maintained in a confidential manner. Integrity, that the information in your systems can be relied upon. This is extremely important for publicly traded companies, especially when you get into things like Sarbanes Oxley compliance. um, And availability, that your systems are available when you need them to be, right? And then we layer on this wrapper of of privacy, which historically and legally has been defined as the right to be left alone, right? But for companies, that means, you know, when, how, and to what extent can you use the information that you've collected about your customer, about your population, about your consumers? Um, so, you know, love, I always love to lay that out because it really helps contextualize when it means, when it means bringing this into your business, how does this actually impact the decisions that you might be making about a new business line, a growth of business line, an investment in a technology, an investment in a membership rewards program? Right. Uh, putting an, an app out there to let folks, you know, order ahead. Um, so it, it, it makes an impact.
1: Cool. And so, um, you know, there's there's a few different types of cyber attacks. You know, I guess if you could talk about them a little bit and, and maybe what what customers should be particularly worried about right now. You know, I think I read something recently about ransomware attacks being up over 100 percent year over year. Uh, and things of that nature so i I guess maybe the 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 you know biggest issues are may may depend on the size of the company, but if you can kind of give us some color on that it would be great
2: so so ransom I would definitely say ransomware is what we're seeing get the most the most news coverage if you will right so ransomware in simplest terms is your systems have become unavailable a threat actor right it can be somebody who is out there for monetary you know the monetary gains they just want to access your system to be able to get paid that 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 um that ransom right it could be political right it could be a hacktivist that is. Uh, not in agreement with something that you've said or put out there in the marketplace um, which we see impacting right our, our, our industry today um, so somebody comes in takes over all of your systems a system a critical financial system the point of access into your environment um, and doesn't let you doesn't let you back in until you've agreed to to pay a, a fine right or a fee or a a some sort of of cost value. Um, the other thing we're seeing a lot, in, in, interestingly enough, is the theft of in, intellectual property. Right. So we live in a very fluid marketplace. Um, intellectual property theft doesn't really get that much um, airtime, uh, but it is it is especially especially important. Um, I. I worked with a, a company a few years back, um, and this was a, a transaction. So you know, we said, okay, what, what, what's, your, what's your crown jewel, right? Like, what are you the most afraid of would get exposed? And they're like, there's only, one, there's only one thing that we're worried about. I said, okay, what is it? And they go, our recipes. Like, if our recipes walked out the door, we're out of business. There's absolutely no reason for us to continue getting up in the morning, right? So where we normally think of, hey, a hacker's coming in or a threat actor is coming in, they're taking over our financial systems, they're taking over our employee data, they're changing numbers in our finance system so we're actually paying them when we think we're paying a vendor or an employee, right? This company was like, hey, if this recipe gets out the door, we're done.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's literally their secret sauce.
2: Literally. And, you know, like I'm an, I'm a native New Yorker. We're very, very, you know, proud of our, our pizza industry. Right. Generally speaking, can you imagine if your favorite pizza place all of a sudden had like a new dough recipe, new sauce recipe, like the whole nine yards, you're like I'm not going back yeah. there.
1: Yeah.
2: Right. And you can say the same thing up uphill, right. For, for larger industries, right. If, if you're going to change something and, and all of a sudden you're like, Hey, that that's what we made money off of
1: first thing that came to my mind was the kernel seeker recipe <laughs> it's worth a lot man it's worth a lot oh yeah <laughs> um so in addition to restaurant companies uh other what other types of clients are yep. seeking your help um other industries um other verticals who's who's seeking your help
2: yep so so where our team very proudly is industry agnostic um what i focus on day in day out is what i'll call the hospitality adjacent companies right our manufacturing firms that are coming in and and maybe, you know, producing, producing items, Um, our consumer retail company, Uh, real estate. Everybody always forgets that that real estate is is a a bigger market than, than just the, you know, the industrial real estate side of things. Um, A lot of noise being made, especially in states like Illinois on on biometrics, right? What does that mean for the smart building space? What does that mean for uh, real estate companies that are uh, putting technology in to help them manage um, from afar? Um, Technology companies, a lot of noise today, right? We saw um, Apple and and the Google Play Store uh, start putting uh, controls in place around what kind of applications, security posture, hygiene, privacy posture and hygiene Can be put out there. Um, and then of course, you know, we we can't ever forget that the the financial services industry uh spent a a good amount of time there doing cyber privacy diligence um in support of of transactions, right? So what is a, a potential companies potential uh, acquisition uh, look like from a, c- a cybersecurity lens right what kind of risk uh, is present in their environment what does that look like for uh, the the you know let's call it private equity company that that's that's going out and buying them right that the risk comes with it uh, how does that impact uh, reps and warranties insurance how does that impact uh, money that that may be set aside in escrow uh, to cover potential potential liability obligations, uh, you know, especially in consumer and hospitality, they're very, uh, they're very people centric industries, right? Um, nobody wants to be the company that bought the other company and all of a sudden to find out that, Hey, there was a breach of a million records of personal information and we're doing business in California. And all of a sudden, you're you're running afoul of of the AG's office in California with CCPA and CPRA, right? Um, there's a lot there's a, a lot of contentious conversations that are happening of what is the obligation of covering that risk in the transaction.
1: Okay, cool. Um, and so, you know, are you seeing, you know, in the research that consumers are significantly changing their be- behavior following cyber attacks? And I guess how's how's that changed over the last decade or so?
2: Yeah, really, really good question. So the greatest shift that we've seen is an upfront conscientiousness by the consumer. Who am I getting into business with? You know, what are they doing with my information? Is this brand doing right by me as a consumer? Um, a lot of, we all remember the, the days of, of the, the Target breach, right? And, and most forget that Target was breached because of their HVAC system. Right. It wasn't that Target went out and willingly did something that was running afoul of their of their customers. Um, and big Target fan here. This is not this is not a knock on Target. Right. This is the reality of the world that we live in. Um, and, you know, the response was, OK, well, Target was required right, to go out and get credit monitoring service for for their customers. Most people still think that it was Target's goodwill that they went out and got credit service monitoring for their customers. That's not the case. They were required to do it, right? But today, we very much still see this conscientiousness by consumers to say, you know what? I'm not going to opt in. I'm not going to download an app that is knowingly using my information. We're seeing a lot of it now, right? With with the way that there's this conscientiousness of how is big tech using our information? How are how are they monetizing my information for their own um, their own purposes? In a, a post Roe v Wade world, right? There was a lot of a lot of light that was suddenly shown on. Well, there are all these these apps that help women. Um, and what are their practices around cybersecurity? How might my information be compromised there? Um, so there's certainly this upfront, you know, conscientiousness and on the flip side, right, there's a lot of brand reputation that that is impacted when the oh no moment happens. Not if the own oh, no moment happens, but truly when, right? What did the brand do? to protect my information what what was their social contract that they had with me what information that they give me in their privacy policy their terms and conditions up front about how that information they were collecting about me it was going to be protected um, so we are seeing a little bit of a shift we're seeing a lot more noise come out when a brand uh, is impacted and the reality is in the marketplace is that We're no longer living in a marketplace where there's only one makeup store or there's only one retail shop or there's only one shoe store that you can can shop in, right? So brands have to take that proactive stance of saying, we are custodians of this information. We have built this reputation in the market with our customers. We have to do right by protecting this information, using it with fairness, using it with transparency, because the reality is that if our clients wanted to walk away, it's gonna be that much harder for us to reacquire wire of that client.
1: Yeah, more costly as well. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's really, really interesting. Um, you know, I think there's definitely been more attention paid to it, right? You have have um, people in the media, you know, looking at Know TikTok terms of service and things of that nature, right? And um, so oh, I think yeah. I don't I don't know if it's hurt their user base at all, but you know you have people definitely more cognizant of of what's being captured, right, and what's being used and how it's being used. So um, I think that's a good thing when anytime consumers are willing to educate themselves, right. Um, So what are the main vulnerability points, uh, both at the restaurant level and at the corporate level?
2: Tough question. And I hate to sound like a consultant here, but I'm going to give the first consultant answer, which is it depends. It depends what the ecosystem looks like. Um, I'll say that, you know, even up to like four or five, six years ago, when we had these types of conversations with brands, it was like, oh, well, I'm PCI compliant. My credit card data is safe. And you're like, okay, that's fine. And I am so happy that you got through the, the PCI questionnaire, which is like totally um, counterintuitive, let's say. Um, but now we're beyond credit card information, right? Um, and I think that what the, the at what the questions are now that these companies should be asking themselves especially in a post covid world is what does your technology landscape look like right are you using cloud based uh, platforms to support your orders your fulfillment uh what does that look like how are your how are your restaurant locations or how you know how are your store locations interconnected with one another what is that that mesh of network look like uh how are you granting access to your systems uh how is your customer interacting right are they coming in making a purchase and that purchase is being shipped are they coming in making a purchase the purchase is going out the door with them are they ordering ahead for pickup right so this this you know night what we'll call 90 percent reliance on technology has really changed the game of where you need to look for the technology related risks um your apps, right? Who's developing them? Are they developing them in a secure manner? Are they, are are they being updated? How is information that you're collecting about your consumer being protected and used right through that app? Again, above and beyond just credit card information, right? How are you uh, granting maintaining access to your point of sale systems? What kind of point of sale systems are you using? Are you, are you pushing the You know are you pushing onus onto your vendors to make sure that they're behaving and coding and developing their own software in a secure manner right how is that information going from store location back to hq right what is your what is your cyber hygiene privacy hygiene and and posture look like at headquarters right and that is logically right how how are folks get how how are folks interacting with your systems how are they getting into your buildings Technologically, right? What controls do you have in place around your technology systems? Again, how are you working in partnership with your vendors to make sure that, that if you're, if you're using a cloud-based system, you're like, oh yeah, you know, so-and-so company is responsible for security because they're providing me this platform. Guess what, buddy? Read the fine print because that risk transfer that you think that you're making is not really there, right? There are obligations that you've got on your side to make sure that you've got appropriate controls. Um, in place, how are those systems interacting with one another, right? What is what does that interface look like between your systems? How are you educating your people and your users to maintain a sense of cybersecurity hygiene, right? Uh, you know, one of the latest statistics out there is sixty-five percent of uh, cybersecurity incidents start with your people. Somebody clicked a link that they shouldn't have, right? And we're a, we're a click happy bunch, us humans, right? So, are you educating your people on, hey, don't click the link? If your finance team is getting requests for wires, are they calling the person to confirm that it's a legitimate request? The account number has not been, has not been compromised in, in email transit. Um, are you, are you, Doing technical testing of your boundaries, right? Are you having an objective third party come in and, and look at, at all of this? Um, and I think the other piece that really, really gets lost in all of this is are you empowering your information security and your privacy teams to do what they need to do? Are you giving them, you know, the monetary support? Are you giving them the right human capital? to be able to do this? Are you giving them a seat in the conversation to say, hey, here's where we are today. Here's where we need to be in the future to meet all the obligations that we're putting out there, right? Um, Are you educating your board? Um, Again, uh, you know, the SEC has proposed proposed rules out there for for publicly traded companies that, you know, in the future, should these rules pass, you're going to have to have board-educated members right? Really be aware of what, what does cybersecurity mean, right? And and you've got to be able to train your board on what cybersecurity risk looks like for the company. Um, so I think where we talk about, you know, what is the vulnerability to a brand, what, you know, you've also got to really weigh what the impact is going to be, right? You could have, let's say, a single location Wi-Fi go down. It sticks, right? It could be malicious intent behind that. It could just be the fact that It's Wi-Fi and it's not always going to be friendly, right? But what if your critical application goes down? What if your CRM goes down? What if your order payment system goes down, right? And it is a threat actor. You know, what does it mean for your business to be out of, you know, out of technology service for four hours, for eight hours, for three weeks? How many dollars are not coming in the door? Because of that, right? So you've really got to understand what are your crown jewel systems, what technology do you need to keep safe, and what what investment are you willing to make as a company to make sure they stay safe?
1: Yeah, that's great. And uh, you know what I found when I was doing a little bit of legwork before we spoke uh, that was interesting was like how much they spoke about uh, employees and 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 protecting employee data, right? Because I I've just been thinking about. Uh, you're thinking about it at the at the consumer level, right? And the credit card data and the loyalty data and and all that kind of stuff. But but obviously, securing employee data is important too, right?
2: So, w- with, without naming names of brands, because I, I feel for the brands, irrelevant of size of these companies, I feel for the brands that are are dealing with this. Uh, the state of Illinois gifted us some new laws around bio um, biometric information. Right. So I think you're spot on. When companies think about data, we're always thinking about consumer. We really also need to include employees in that. And the reason I bring it up is because, um, it is not unmanageable. Again, speaking in broad strokes here, I don't want to throw any, any companies under, under the bus on this. Right. Um, when we think about employees, I'll give you this scenario. An employee walks in the door. You're using, you know, upper right quadrant. Technology for your employee timekeeping systems, and your employee comes in, they scan their thumbprint, they've clocked in, they work the shift, scan back out, end of day. Right? Um, how are you protecting that information? Are you did you give disclosure to your employees that you're going to be using their biometric information to do this? How are you maintaining the security of that information that you're collecting? How are you maintaining? Um, information about your employee and their, uh, their healthcare status, right? Especially if, if in the, the restaurant industry world, right? If, if there's, um, a health matter that, that's, that's being investigated related to an employee. So there are all these laws that are very specific to employee data. I am not an attorney. I don't want to ever be a labor attorney. I give that, I give that, that group of specialists great, great respect, right? But what are you doing? And do you understand the, the complex environment that you, that you're operating in? about that information, right, Uh, you know, Illinois, California, um, you know, there are states that are are really making it easy for businesses to operate. And there are states that make it a little bit tougher. And you've got to really do the work to understand what are our obligations. Um, And a lot of it really comes down to how are you informing your employees about this, right? What does that look like? to inform your employees, here's the information we've collected about you. Here's how that information is being used. Here's where that information is stored. Here's how it might be shared. Um, because it's not just, you know, the yesteryear of, oh, we're collecting employee information so we can send it to our, our you know, the company that does our health insurance, right? Now, all of a sudden you're saying, okay, we're collecting really sensitive information about an employee. And maybe we're using AI to, to decide, hey, this person works... This shift and that person works that shift because of, of X, Y, Z capability. Um, but there are inherent biases to a lot of this um, that I think that our industry, well, the technology industry at least is still fleshing out. Um, but I will say we're seeing a lot creeping up, um, especially in Illinois, of what does it mean to use employee information um, appropriately, even if it's for legitimate business practice. Um, and you know, where can companies start getting in trouble?
1: And you mentioned, uh, the employee data being upper right quadrant data. I'm not familiar with the quadrants. I can kind of maybe back into a guess there, but if you could kind of talk about the quadrants a little bit, talk about what the upper right quadrant means, uh, for, for, you know, uh, you know, us laymen.
2: (laughs) So oftentimes when I talk with businesses and we start having conversations of, Hey, we're finally out of COVID. Right. We're finally back to a world where we can make technology investment. We're like, we're going to go look at Gartner. We're going to go look at Forrester and we're going to pick like the, the, the top leader. Right. The leader of this is like the best tool or application. That we can get in the space. And this is this, you know, Gartner leading or Forrester wave leading technology is going to solve all of our problems. You know, I'll context, I'll, I'll contextualize this by saying Gartner and Forrester are great resources for information, right? They, they're fantastic. I use them mm. quite a bit. Um, but you've got to then say, okay, we're making this investment technology. We're going with, you know, this, 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 um, HR information system, right? But what does that mean for your business? You're making this gigantic investment. These, these tools, technologies, applications are not cheap, right? How are you then deploying that in your environment? A, what technology risk are you introducing to your environment by doing this? B, how are you setting appropriate controls of who's got access to what information? Is it, is it commensurate with the job that they're doing? Right? see how are you giving people appropriate disclosure about what information you're storing about them right how are you integrating these systems with other uh technologies that are that are in your environment and i think the big one which is which is let's call it in a a, the one of the largest emerging issues in cyber and privacy is what kind of onus are you taking on because of this third party Right. You got, you went out, you spent half a million bucks on a system that is, Oh, but it's great. It's a SaaS solution and we don't need to have a server farm anywhere supporting it. And this vendor is going to do all this maintenance and they're going to support it for us. And we don't need to worry about like backing it up or disaster recovery or, you know, UX and UI updates. It's fantastic. Right. But somewhere there's a paragraph in your contract that could say, hey, we reserve the right to use this data that you're uploading as we see fit, right? What kind of exposure did you just introduce to your business because of this third party, right? Alternatively, right, on, on the extreme opposite side of the example, we'll get cases where the company is like, look, we, we just need something. I Googled first ad that came up, we, we went with them, and, oh, by the way, we got, like, the first year free.
1: Get what you pay for, I guess, right? And it's
2: great, <laughs> right? And then very similarly, like, you know, you're like, okay, like, we'll, we'll review the contract for you from a, a cyber privacy perspective. And the contract's two pages.
1: Wow.
2: Right? And a full page of it says, by the way, you got this free year because you're giving us access to use your information. Turn around and sell it to another customer. And that's why you're not paying the 99.99 a month in 12 equal installments, right? Um, and what happens with those, with those smaller mom and pop companies that are, that are out there is they're not doing the due diligence to make sure that that tool application technology, right? Name it what you will is secure. They're not helping you to, uh, shore up and mature your own cybersecurity hygiene because they're introducing right a a, a mode in, into your environment where where this is living um they are they may or may not be acting above board in terms of what the data sharing um the data sharing um is behind you know behind the scenes and all of a sudden right this thing that you were like oh this is great we we got out of paying 9999 a month well, hey, guess, guess what you just took on from a, a risk perspective, right? So there's, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of, you know, obligation that companies have that doesn't always get seen of what does it look like to manage, proactively manage their, their third party risk, right? And especially in hospitality and especially in, 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 in the food industry, um, Food companies should be doing food. They're not. Te- they're not technology companies, right? So the likely, the the high likelihood is there's a lot of these tools in their ecosystem, right? And likely not getting yeah. looked at.
1: Is there a way for them to negotiate to negotiate out some of that that third party risk when when yeah?
2: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, again, I'm not a not attorney, not legal advice, but uh, consult your friendly neighborhood uh, attorney in this space. Um, The other thing that companies really should be considering is what does their data sharing agreement look like with these, with these vendors? Are they, are, you know, are companies setting out the appropriate rules of the road based on their business, their, the jurisdictions where they're, where they're conducting business, their type of end consumer? Are they setting out the right rules of the road with these vendors of saying, here's how you may or may not use information? Right? Here's how you, um, here's how you are obligated to help us in the case that we have a need around this information, uh, especially for the companies that are uh, required to be GDPR compliant, especially for the companies that are required to comply with CCPA, CPRA, uh, companies that are operating states with emerging or, or newly, uh, newly enacted, uh, privacy laws. This is going to become critically important. Understand what your data sharing landscape looks like. And this, the risk around third party is front and center in that conversation. Understand, yes, you as a company, you're collecting information, you're using it, right? For again, fully legitimate business purpose, but then you're sharing it, right? And you may not think of sharing it, um, in that way, but ultimately that, that is what it looks like, right? You are sharing information. With your technology platform, what are the appropriate rules of the road for that platform to be able to use your data?
1: Okay, cool. And uh, you know, can companies also insure uh, some of their risk against cyber attacks and third-party risk?
2: I love that question. I spend a lot of my time talking about that question. So, cyber insurance is incredibly expensive. Uh, it is harder and harder to get. There are more and more exclusions being put into policies. Um, So yes, you can go out and you can get it. It is not a set it and forget it. Most cybersecurity insurance policies today are very uh, descriptive of what capabilities a company has to have in place in order for the cyber insurance policy to be effective and cover a potential breach, loss, whatever it is. So most of the time uh, you speak to folks and they're like, no, I don't need to do anything. I have cyber insurance and it'll be great. And then the oh no moment happens because again, nobody is immune from an oh no moment. And they go to their cyber insurer and they're like, hey, I have to pay like $2 2 million dollars in, in, in ransom, right, to get my my finance system back. And Cyber insurance is like, "No, I'm not covering that." It's like, "What what what do you mean? Like we've been paying you 100,000 $100, dollars, right, to for this." And Cyber insurance is like, "Well, you didn't have any proactive controls in place. You weren't doing your job in making sure that you are authenticating traffic that's crossing your network. You weren't doing annual risk assessments to understand where you might have cybersecurity risk exposures, you weren't doing a good job at managing your third party risk. And even though you had a great CRM platform that you paid a half a million dollars for, right, two years ago, and you finally got through the implementation and that's where the, the vulnerability came from, you didn't do enough to proactively understand what your cyber risk landscape looks like internally and to mature your capabilities to mitigate those risks. Um, so yes, yeah, cyber insurance is available out there, but there is a large obligation that's still put on companies to have that, oh no, Right. File ready, if you will. Hey, we've been doing every year we've been doing an, you know, an objective, you know, cybersecurity risk assessment. We understand that we have areas that we can mature, but we've got these baseline competencies in place. We're making sure that folks are are accessing our network in a secure manner. We're using multifactor authentication for people coming in. We're doing proactive. Scanning of our network to detect any, any potentially malicious activity. You know, we're, we're doing annual penetration testing to make sure that, that the, the walls around our castle are intact. We're educating our users with security awareness training. We're training our leadership to be able to identify spear phishing and, 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 you know, whale phishing. Um, and if you have those in place, you're, you're in a much better position to go to your insurer and say, look, the own no moment happened. We need help. You know, we need, hey, we ensure we need your help being able to engage a, an incident response team or a, a ransom, you know, uh, uh, recovery team. And somebody's got to go f- figure out how to buy Bitcoin for me to, to pay this ransom. Right. But we did everything that we were supposed to do and the own no moment still happened. And in those cases, um, the insurers are looking, you know, it, it's a more favorable outcome for the most part. Now, that's not written in stone. Uh, there are some insurers that are, are better than others. I'm, I will not name names here, right? Um, but, but that's really where we try to help folks understand. You could have a great cyber insurance policy. That doesn't mean that you're fully protected.
1: Okay, cool. Cool. Yeah, and I guess uh, in terms of the, the insurers you, you uh, recommend, I guess we have to pay for that. Uh. <laughs> uh. You can, we can we,
2: we can we can have a, a one-on-one a lovely one-on-one chat on on you know what, what that space looks like but i'll i'll refrain from uh publicizing too Fair widely enough. my my feelings so
1: what, what should a restaurant chain do if they suffer a cyber attack
2: uh engage a good attorney i i you know i i, I say that tongue-in-cheek but Um, you know, this is really where your service providers that you have relationships with come into play. So most of, you know, very, very, you know, openly, your attorney is gonna be critical in a lot of this. There's gonna be a lot of conversations that happen of what do we know, what don't we know. Um, and frankly, attorney client privilege is going to be very helpful. Right until you get your feet under you. Obviously, there are obligations in certain jurisdictions to let, uh, and you know, an attorney general's office know if you're if the if cyber event that happens is a data breach and there's uh, disclosure of, uh, personally identifiable information. Right, there are obligations there. You know, that is again, where a really good attorney in the space in the room is going to help you through that process. Uh, your cyber insurer, if you've got cyber insurance in place, will be. Uh, dramatically and drastically helpful in terms of getting boots on the ground um, to help you get you know systems back to help you understand how how um you know what is the breadth and depth of this cybersecurity incident to your environment. Um, you know if it's if it's an internal you know insider threat it's a you know totally different game you're getting departments like HR involved. But leading up to this, you know, the the cyber incident, the point of cyber incident is not the time where you want to be figuring this out. You want to do a lot of this planning for the own oh, no moment before it actually happens. Um, so, we always make the recommendations that on a regular basis, uh, you should be simulating, right? Even if it's a, a tabletop event, you should be simulating these discussions. Sit folks in a room, and that includes your CEO, that includes your investor relations, that includes your, your legal team, that includes, you know, IT. If your insurer is Proactive, your you know your cyber insurer, and talk through. Hey, here's a scenario. How are we going to respond to this? How are we going to get to the other side of this moment? Because there is light at the end of the tunnel. At the end of the tunnel, a cyber event is not the end of your company, right? Um. So you know if if you feel that there's capabilities in house to lead that in house, do it. Partner with a, a third party, right? And shameless plug for our team here, right? We do these regularly, right? We're sitting down with, with, with the board. We're sitting down with the, the incident response teams to say, how are you actually going to respond to this? What does this mean to be able to go out to the market and say, yes, we brand ABC that is a publicly traded company in this many states. Here's what happened to us. Here's what we're doing to respond to it. Here's how to you as a consumer, this may impact you. If there was a data breach, here's how your information what types and, and how your information might have been, um, exposed, but look at, you know, look at your partner landscape to help support that, that response. It should not happen in a silo. Um, and it certainly should not be, you know, that cyber event or the, you know, the, the privacy breach event should not be the point where you're figuring it out.
1: Yeah. But then it's too late, right?
2: Oh yeah.
1: <laughs> All right. So how is cybersecurity impacting loyalty programs and, and do you think privacy and data concerns are gonna slow down the shift to one to one marketing?
2: Yes. <laughs> so here's here's kind of the you know, what we talk about when it comes to to loyalty programs. Loyalty programs are great. I and my myself will say that I love my loyalty programs. I love getting to know that my tenth pizza is free and I'm not going to name the brand, but we all know, right? I, I love my 10th pizza is free, right? But the reality is to sign up for a loyalty program, you're giving them a lot of information about yourself. So let's first talk about from a consumer perspective, right? Weigh whether or not the loyalty program is really worth it, right? If this is an ongoing brand that you have an ongoing relationship with, yeah, maybe you want to say, okay, look, if I, you know, if I give my information, I get my 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 tenth pizza free, I get twenty percent off my 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 purchase of you know linens and whatever. Um, all right, totally get it. Let's say this is a brand that you, it's a one and done. You're on the road, you're grabbing a soda, you're grabbing a, a coffee somewhere to rest up, right? What does it look like for you to actually give that information, right? Is there an ROI for you for doing that? So I I don't wanna I don't wanna um, ignore the fact that a consumer plays a really big role in this relationship, right, on the marketing front. Now let's go to the company side of this, right? So companies are looking to say, okay, we want to understand better who our consumer is. We want to figure out, you know, we're, we're piloting products. Let's see who, who bites from a membership perspective. We're using this to maintain customer loyalty, right? To inc- increase customer lifetime value for us. You know, gone are the days where we can just put cookies and pixels on our, our, our websites, right? And, and have at it because again, thanks, thanks, right? To the, the, the powers that be for, for disallowing us to do that, right? But you're collecting, as a company, massive amounts of information about people that they may or may not understand the impact of, right? So how are you going to collect information about your user base? How are you going to aggregate that information? How are you then going and buying, let's say, consumer sentiment information to layer on top of this, right? How are you potentially using geolocation data as an additional layer here, right? And what does that mean now to that massive data set in aggregate instead of just, hey, you know, Deborah Nitka, who lives in X city and meets this demographic measurement, right? Now you're like, hey, Deborah is more likely to buy, you know, shoes A versus shoes B. And she's going to, she's more likely to go to store one versus store two, right? So now that data set has become a lot larger and a lot more risky for your company if a cyber event happened, right? So I think a lot of what the, what the loyalty program, you know, is showing us is yes, you can do it. Yes, you can do it in a smart way, but you've got to be really, really measured of what is it that you're trying to push out there to your customer, and how much risk and, and you know are you taking on, and is that ROI still going to be worth it um, at the end? I still, um, I'm going to age myself for a second, but I remember the really, really early days of like the Shoprite
1: card uh, the key card. I don't know if anybody else put on a you keychain.
2: The little key card. Right. And it was like, well, if you wanted the points, you have to like go into the store, right, to, to swipe your card. Um, and that is not the shopping experience reality. Right. It's, I'm, I'm biased. I'm in New York. Right. I'm, I'm not there's, there's no shop right where, where I live. I, I miss my little membership card. Right. But now what does it look like for me to have a loyalty program for a supermarket that I am going to right? or an online um, grocery service? that is coming my way. So I think that there's a, a great from a business perspective, there's a great utility for the loyalty program. Um it's also going to impact the the breadth of of your your security, right? So so we look at this from the lens of you as a company have certain information assets that you're going to use to drive value for your company. You're going to support revenue, you're going to put this loyalty program out there. The oh no moment happens. Or the oh no moment is about to happen. Right. You have a hundred million pieces of data in your ecosystem. Right. Every, every one of those, every piece of that of information there is an exposure point for you. So let's say the own moment happens.
0: We have 50
2: states in our, in our country. Every single state has its own data breach law. Right. None of which are the same. Crazy. Right. We have great precedent here for why privacy laws are state by state. Right. Because we couldn't get it right with data breach. So why should we get it right with with privacy? Right. So there are thresholds.
0: Of in each
2: state, there's a threshold that says, you know, all it takes is one person's record to be breached. And that is going to trigger you to have to inform your attorney general's office. And it's going to trigger some sort of requirement for you to respond to this breach other states are like nope it's got to be over you know 5000 10000 whatever it is records um for it to actually trigger a response for you to need to do something now let's say you have a loyalty program and you've got uh you know you've you've got this 100 million uh data points right and you've got all these records about people what does it mean in that oh no woman how much of that information is actually value added information that you are utilizing to support business and how much of that is information that you were collecting because you could, because you could take on that information. Um, and what does that mean in protecting it, right? Are there appropriate controls around it? Is there a, a locks on the treasure box of this treasure trove of information, right? Or is this information that ultimately exposed you to requirements and to cost of responding to a breach and, you know, cost of responding to um, the impact of, of you know, brand erosion in that own moment.
1: That's great. Thanks. Um, And you have time for one more? I have time for one more. All right. Good stuff. So uh, last question, are uh, ESG investors placing a focus on cybersecurity? Are they focusing enough on cybersecurity? I'd imagine this is uh, probably a big part of the governance piece of ESG.
2: Oh, yeah. So we're seeing a lot, a lot of conversations happening from an ESG lens on this. So for cybersecurity, certainly from a governance lens, and then privacy from a, a, a social lens, right? So I'll say that that for the most part, right, unless a fund is purely an ESG play, right, um, there are still, I would say, conversations that are emerging in this space, right? But there's a lens that says we have to report out, we are required to report out out on our ESG activities. And we're gonna use cybersecurity or privacy as a means to quantify ESG for us. So what we see a lot of the time is there's this focus on what does cybersecurity mean and how can cybersecurity hygiene be used to inform that governance metric. And from a privacy perspective, how are companies you know how are, are let's call it a, a port cove, right in this example how is a portfolio company um, maintaining the, the privacy standards of you know of their their consumer base of their of their data um, in order to really understand this social this social contract aspect with their customers so I think that there's a there's a, a really um, I I this is personal opinion, right? I, I think that, that we're going to see an increase in a in a lot of these types of conversations. I think that as uh, we see more proliferation of you know ESG based funds, we're going to see a lot more um, traction in the conversation of you know the seat at the table that that cyber and privacy you know have um, in that value added creation.
1: Very cool. Uh, that was awesome. I learned a lot. Um, is there, uh, is there a best way, you know, an email you'd like to share or something like that? Best way for our listeners, uh, to get in touch with you if, if, uh, if they have any questions.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So always happy to chat and, and geek out about this. Uh, deborah.netka.com. Uh, happy to, to chat with you. Uh, I, I am going to say feel free to Google because Google is, is still very much one of our, our best friends. Uh, Cohen Resnick, cybersecurity, tech risk, and privacy team. And we're always happy to have a chat, have a, a, a thought, you know, a, a moment of, of thinking and, and sharing and looking forward.
1: Awesome. Well, thanks for doing this. Thanks uh, to our listeners for listening in and have a good day, everybody.